Hi folks, I'm Alan Watton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of November 2010. Uh, those who are new to the show should go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and take your helping of as many audios as you want for download for free where I try to show you the histories and the big picture behind this big global movement towards unification and a brand new way of living for everyone an ordered society planned long ago it ran along much a line as a Soviet system only only more advanced than that even uh, where you'll literally be picked from birth as to what you will work at what you'll do and in fact, it'll, it'll even be decided by panels if you'll even get born at all. And that is the system we're going into. Make no bones about that. And on the site, you've got lots to choose from, as I say. And remember, too, you're the audience who bring me to you. You can purchase the books and the discs I have for sale. That's all I put out there to keep me going. Not a lot. And uh, even the expenses here are high. And so your donations are certainly welcome for the few that, that keep doing it. So is the same people which is a sign of the times because thousands use the information and uh, those who don't hammer me actually use it and never mention you or help you or even kick a few pennies your way. So it's up to you if you want to keep me going. Uh, if you do, buy the books and so on at cuttingthroughthematrix.com websites or any of the sites you see listed there. These are the official sites on that page. Nothing else outside there uh, is mine, even on YouTube. On YouTube, it's a lot of nonsense and people playing themselves and taking bits of talks and, and splicing them with other folks' talks and having good fun, I suppose. But so the only official sites are those ones at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. If you want transcripts, you can get them in English too from all of these sites, and you can get transcripts in other language at the site listed as alanwattsentinel.eu. And you can take your, chew, your pick from those from different languages, print them up, and pass them around to your friends for those that want to know. And to order two, you can use uh, in, from the U.S. to Canada. Personal check is good. An international money order is good. Postal order, that is, from your post office. You're going to see international. Stress that one. And uh, you can send cash. Some people order by PayPal. Just send the PayPal donation followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Some people across the world use the same methods, uh, except for personal check. They can't use personal check from Europe, for instance, to Canada. But um, this, you can send cash. Uh, PayPal's good. And you can also use Western Union for straight wiring, which is expensive, or MoneyGram, which can be wired, which is less expensive. Or you can use MoneyGram as a check and then just post it. That's the least expensive of them all. So it's up to you how you want to do it. And... On this talk, I give um, some of the background histories of how we got to where we are. I mentioned the big organizations that planned this particular coming order. We're actually in it, in fact, 
but we're just on the brink, as we see it, of really emerging around us in, in a thousand different ways. It's starting to manifest its organization now and implement it by force, in fact, and the force of law. And I've gone into the histories of this in quite some detail over the years of the big players, the big foundations that helped to use their think tanks to work it all out, and then their big NGO armies, which push governments to implement them. They lobby governments. They're well paid to lobby governments, by the way. They're not little charities, as you would think of them. And a long time ago, they talked about the recreation or the creation of a green earth army, and that really was the ecological army, the ones who were be fanatically driven and encouraged to be driven to push for all these changes that are happening in the world. Because under the guise of ecology and saving the planet, they would bring in what was always called the redistribution of the world's wealth, one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto. And the United Nations tried for years and years to get extra taxing to do all of this and, and powers to do this themselves. And then they said that they'd hit upon the green idea. And, of course, that basically would fit the bill. We had the same thing happening at the Club of Rome that works with the United Nations, saying pollution, uh, etc., uh, and climate change would fit the bill. So it's the same story over and over, done by deception back after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and and talking about how climate change would be the big stick, has been used as the big stick to change the world, to to give the reasons the needed to sign international agreements to get their long awaited plan into action. They really needed something badly and that's what they picked was climate change. And that came out from the to say the Club of Rome a big think tank that spawns other big think tanks because they all specialize in their own area of deception. And the Club of Rome uh, said in their own book, The First Global Revolution, uh, back in the 70s, they said that um, they thought that uh, to to unite humanity and so on uh, under this common cause, they'd have to get a really good motivation to make it happen. So they hit upon an idea of uh, climate change and... um, and starvation and uh, disasters and so on. It says that would fit the bill. That would fit the bill. After they looked around for other things they could possibly use, they thought that was the best terrifying scenario to use to get the big changes through. As I say, it's done by deception. And they certainly have used that to the maximum. We've seen all the lies come out of the universities and all of the the very uh, the scientists that used to be in poverty because nobody wanted these particular scientists to do with weather. And they suddenly became very rich overnight with grants thrown at them. And then they started putting through their adjusted formulas into computers and coming out with incredible answers and so on to terrify the public. So they can keep terrifying you as long as they keep readjusting natural data uh, and as long as the grants are getting thrown at them. But they've got their way, basically, because it was just a necessity to get it through to change the world into a pre-planned destiny. Uh, set up an awful long time ago, a big, big plan. And we know, if you, anyone who's studied communism, at least anyone at all who's even skimmed over communism must at least know that it's strange that everything that's happening in the world is right along the planks of the communist manifesto. 
And remember that communism was not some aberrant thing it took off by itself in Russia. It was planned not in Russia at all. In fact, it was planned in London, England, by the author of it all, Karl Marx. At least he was given the job to write it up. And he was paid by Rothschild, by the way. Because the big bankers wanted this kind of world as well. After all, big bankers, international moneylenders, had always been involved with the affairs of governments and their wars and their acquisitions and the conquest of wars, how they get their payback, you see, for loans and so on. And they were also the only ones who dealt with human populations, projections into the future of coming populations. Would there be more of them to pay off debts? Would there be less of them to pay off debts? That was always the international bankers' trade. So they were economists, in a sense, and uh, they were the ones who wanted a socialized world system where a massive bureaucracy would would handle, in a scientific way, the world's populations and, and the societies that they drool over it's the easiest way to keep track of everyone and manage the society. And at the same time, the fascist banker lead at the top would, would live all above the clouds, you might say, above all of that. And they would not be called into account. They wouldn't have to go along with the same little petty laws. And they prefer, they've always preferred nations uh, to, to go out and get their money f- uh, from them. And that's why you have uh, income tax departments and government. They collect money. Um, that's owed by you because you're put down as collateral for loans that your government has borrowed from these bankers. It's far easier than the bankers sending out the heavies door to door, isn't it? Uh, so they prefer to get governments to do it for them. And when you have a world society, it'll be even so much easier. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, folks. Anyway, here's an article here, and it came out uh, from What's Up With That, who's been keeping an eye on all of the, the fake climate science and put, doing a very awful good job as well. And he gives a piece of a, a statement was made by a top IPCC official, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, this so-called pseudoscientific body at the United Nations, where Pachora is the head uh, geezer who runs it, supposedly. And he's a great scientist. He was actually an, a, a railroads engineer. He, so he's an ideal man for, for climate science. However... Um, mind you, he's raked in the millions from the UN in his own private spin-offs, of course, on greening policies from India. But that's, that's by the by, and that's on the side. Uh, the rats get to the top from all these jobs. Anyway, this, is, this, is, this one is from the main site, GWPF, which is a real greeny, ecological, well-financed site, obviously, by the big boys. And this is a coming uh, meeting coming up, you see, about the next step of the goal. And so this top IPCC official says climate policy is redistribution, uh, redistributing the world's wealth. That's what it is, which we all have been saying here for ages. Climate policy is redistributing the world's wealth. The 18th of November, 2010. It says climate policy has almost nothing to do anymore with environmental protection, says the German economist and IPCC official. Otmar Edenhofer. The next World Climate Summit in Cancun is actually an economy summit during which the, re- the distribution of the world's resources will be negotiated. Do you understand that means there already is no sovereign nations? There are no sovereign nations. And that there's no sovereignty at all. Because here they are now going ahead naturally with the next phase, now that they've won the last phase. 
uh, uh, of basically getting rid of your countries through amalgamations. Um, and they're, they're not going to distribute the world's wealth and resources and food, by the way. That also includes your food. Which, which region will be getting what portion? Because I've mentioned all this before. For the harder thinking, I'll just repeat that. Climate policy has almost nothing to do anymore with environmental protection, says the German economist and IPCC official, Otmar Edenhofer. The next World Climate Summit in Calcun is actually an economy summit during which the distribution of the world's resources will be negotiated. And guess what? You get no votes whatsoever and no say in the matter. You see, you're just the proles now. You understand that? And it goes on to say here, underneath the rest of it, it says, um, it says, Mr. Edenhofer, everybody concerned with climate protection demands emission reductions. You now speak of dangerous emission reductions. What do you mean? And Otmar Edenhofer says, so far, economic growth has gone hand in hand with the growth of greenhouse gas emissions, which is nonsense. One percent growth means one percent more emissions, which are, again is nonsense, but they must stick the party line. The historic memory of mankind remembers, in order to get rich, one has to burn coal, oil or gas. And therefore, the, the emerging economies fear CO2 emission limits. So this is the whole, the, this is going to be on the table, you see, should they pay these nonsense uh, CO2 emissions in, in China and various other places, Brazil and India. He says, but everybody should take part in climate protection, otherwise it doesn't work. So, in other words, to get, to me, for the scam to work, everyone must sign on an agreement, you see. He says, it's so easy to say, but particularly, but particularly the industrialized countries have a system that relies almost exclusively on fossil fuels. There is no historical precedent and no region in the world that has decoupled, it says, it says decoupled its economic growth from emissions. Thus you cannot expect that India or China will regard CO2 emissions reductions as a great idea. And it gets worse. We are in the midst of a renaissance of coal because oil and gas have become more expensive, but coal has not. The emerging markets are building their cities and power plants for the next 70 years as if there would be permanently no high CO2 price. It says, the new thing about your proposal for a global deal is a stress on the importance of development policy for climate policy. Until now, many think of aid when they hear development policies. That will change immediately if global emissions rights are distributed. If this happens on a per capita basis, then Africa will be the big winner. The huge amounts of money will flow there. Uh, there will be a norm. And that's why I always tell you people too, these countries don't, like China, they didn't bring themselves up by their bootstraps. It's because the UN and the big boys and all the international negotiations made sure money was going to flow in. Same with Brazil, same with uh, India. Says this will have enormous implications for development policy. Now it'll raise the question if these countries can deal responsibly with so much money at all. Well, you know where it'll all go into the pockets of the other places just like India and so on as is happening at, in, at present. So that's how the world really works, you see. I can remember when they were training engineers in Canada and the States and elsewhere. It was communist China. And um, they were tra- training all their engineers before they had factories to go to. How did they know they were going to get put up? And again, they didn't have the ability or the cash do it by their bootstraps or the technology. It was because through the World Trade Organization 
and the GATT agreement that they all signed, all the companies signed, the West gave them the permission to, and they gave them all the technology and we passed laws to allow our factories back home to literally move over there, get paid by our taxpayers to do so and set up in China. And we also guaranteed that if they, we'd pay their losses, any losses incurred or loss of profit for the next first 10 years, which could be renegotiated for another 20 years if necessary. The same deal has been given to India and Brazil. So what did they expect to happen to the Western countries? Well, you know what's happening. We're going down the tubes fast. And once the job's over for the U.S. military, standardizing the world, they'll just wipe their nose with it and toss it to the side. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about the redistribution of wealth. Now, that's always been the key plank, one of the key planks of the manifesto. And here we go. They've tried many other ways to get it done. And it's not just wealth, it's also all the world's resources. That also means your food supply, folks. I hope you realize that also means your food supply. It means any fuel supplies that you produce yourselves too will have to be sent across the world uh, because everyone will be getting their quota down the road. Remember, I've gone through Jack's Italian stuff and other big players' uh, uh, material where they've, they've given us the projections for the next 25, 50 years because the world's already planned, just like the last 50 years was planned too, you see. With all of its changes and its wars, it was all planned. And they planned the next 50 years and probably beyond that too. To bring in the ordered society, the, the big society, sometimes they call it, and sometimes they call it the great society. They have other terms of the good life. The good life is the end of society when all the lesser breeds have died off, the unfit ones. And those who are fit to come through, the scientific types, ones who can adapt to change very quickly and be of service in the new world system, will live high on the hog, supposedly. That was always their dream. And I don't see why they shouldn't achieve it, because, you see, there are so many enemies to fight, and you don't know where to start fighting them or even how to get to them. How do you even send a letter of complaint? Not that it would matter, would it? No one's listening. This is an agenda that they aren't going to, going to stop and turn around because you start objecting to it. It's not going to happen. No way. They've worked so long and so hard in secrecy, always lying to the general public with every government you've ever thought you elected in every country. They're not going to change around now because you don't like it. It's not going to happen. You're under totalitarianism if you haven't noticed. I hope you get that message. I really do hope you get that message. For you folk who think you can just go out there and vote. Anyway, as I say, it's going to be down to your food. And remember Agenda 21, also called uh, the Millennial Project, with different names for it, Sustainable Development, it's all the same thing. You will eventually live in your little uh, cities, and that will be your home. 
unless you're one of the nomadic type. The nomadic type, as Jacques Attali called it, are the ones, the new bureaucratic classes who travel across the world. They're kind of technocrats, as Quigley would call them, who are not responsible to the public, and they're the movers and shakers, and they move from, from major city to major city across the world. They don't really need a permanent home as such, although I'm sure they'll have a few spare ones like Maurice Strong has all over the place, and Al Gore too, mind you. It's strange that Al Gore, you know, after saying that the world, that the water was going to rise 20 odd feet in the next few years, uh, after, two days after saying that and putting out his incredible movie, incredible is the word for it, he went and bought a four and a half million dollar condo two feet high above the water level next to the sea in California. So I don't think he believed his own stuff, did you? Anyway, this, art, art, this uh, book here is from Atali. Again, he was one of the top guys, is one of the top guys in the United Nations. He uh, was a top fellow for France and many other big organizations to do with France and the French government to the United Nations. Then he went to the United Nations. And he also wrote about the decline, the be-managed decline of the United States of America. It ties in exactly with all the think tanks that I've put the links up to on my website. Go into the archive section, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Read the ones from the, the, the government departments, think tanks for the military, for the U.S. and for NATO and Britain. They all agree what, what they see for the next 50 years is they're moving more and more people off the rural areas into the cities where they'll be contained. And, of course, in Agenda 21, you will have no private uh, transportation. You won't need it. You'll be using public transportation only. And that also ties in with the United Nations projection because they say by 2025, there'll be very few folk left on the rural areas to live. Um, And those few that do will be incredibly, incredibly rich people. In other words, your rulers... That's what it means. But here's Jacques Attali again on a brief history of the future. As he goes through the future as the way it's all intended to go by the agenda. He talks about the institutions of hyper-democracy. That's the term they're using for this global democracy. It's not democracy at all. He says the city will be the principal living space of the bulk of humanity. Hundreds of cities will be more heavily populated in 2100 than 100 countries today. It says, some more than two-thirds of humanity will live there. Gigantic sums will be required for their infrastructure. The city will be the area of the biggest collective investments and the principal tax collector. So you're going back to what I've always known about is, is when the UN talked about the super city-state the old city-state, before you had nations, you had city-states. That's what they're bringing it back to as the actual nations wither away, a la Karl Marx. Digital infrastructure will help make the city a site for, a site for encounters, for trading, for living. Using the technologies of nomadic ubiquity, a participative and associative democracy will connect all who live there, all who work there, all who will be its users or who will, in one way or another, be affected by its deployment. You'll, you'll have meetings to attend to, just like George Orwell showed in 1984. You have to attend your local communitarian meetings, and no matter what, what ridiculous name they give it for the particular event, you'll have to show up to show your face or you'll be a bad citizen. And it says here, whole neighborhoods will arise there automatically. 
to fight off the assaults of the market, states will need to focus on a few sovereign functions, security, public order, freedom, defense of language, universal access for both permanent and transient residents to health and knowledge. Well, that's already been done. The right to a training-indexed minimum income. And I'll read the rest about this when I come back. Just so you know, your future is actually here and where it's going. Back with more after this. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, going through your future, the, the very near future in fact. It's, it's must, a lot of it's actually here and sometimes it's good to put it into uh, words for people who haven't quite thought through it. Most folk don't think in logical, straightforward fashions. We think in a sort of vague way because we've really been trained to listen uh, or watch things on television and we get impressions given to us, more impressions than actual thought itself work to give us what eventually become kind of vague opinions on things. And that's what's, that was all a deliberate strategy too, to, that's basically a form of warfare on the mind. Been very successful with most people. So here's Jack Zatali, a big player and technocrat, and he's at the United Nations too, telling you about this system that's coming in once they have all their ecological uh, sham over, and they've used that to redistribute the world's wealth, put you into your little community area. And remember, you won't be able to travel out of these areas without a special pass. Those who are allowed to travel will be more important functionaries and higher leaders of the NGOs, which will be taking part and actually be your new form of government, in fact, just like Britain. That's what they're already using in Britain. They're introducing it on a big scale there. And uh, they've already, of course, got these particular new communists uh, set up to take over the functions of what local uh, uh, elected councils would do. So back to Atali's book here, and he says... um, He says here, to fulfill these functions equitably, states like cities will be subsidized as necessary on a continental and even global scale. Borders will fade away. Again, that's what Marx said, you see, and Lenin. Everyone would be a citizen of several entities at once. Now, Britain, for instance, you're you're technically a citizen of Britain. Uh, It depends what part of it's left, actually, because they've been selling chunks of it off to make sure there's no borders. But you might say, well, I'm English and... Uh, you might say I'm also European, because you remember the European Union at the same time. And you might be a member of another pact on top of that as well. That's how it's going to go. So you'll be a citizen of several entities at once, and it will become possible to defend one's identity without seeking to destroy one's neighbors. Nations will little by little succeed in finding the conditions favorable to Pacific coexistence. You have to because you're going to be monitored and police like you've never believed to say the science fiction movies. New forms of uh, democratic control will appear. That's your NGOs and all your different special interest groups who are funded by the foundations. It says new forms of um, democratic control will appear based on autonomous regulatory agencies permanently monitoring the work of elected officials thanks to the methods of nomadic ubiquity and of hyper-surveillance, hyper-surveillance. 
Each continent or subcontinent will group its market democracies in a union. That's what we saw with Europe, you see. Same with the American Union. And you see that happening with Africa. It's all turning into one big union block, as the European Union has already done. Each such union will be responsible for its currency, the transparency of its markets, the harmonization of its members' social conditions, uh, all for one and one for all, uh, environmentalist protection, uh, domestic security, civil rights, health, education, immigration, foreign policy, and regional defense. I guess it would give you pitchforks if you live in the in the, the lower class ones. It must create for itself a continental parliament and government. So listen, it must create for itself a continental parliament and government. That was discussed during the first free trade association uh, talks with Canada, U.S. and Mexico before they did the NAFTA talks, a single government to govern the Americas. That was already discussed at those meetings. It says here it must also possess, as is already the case with Europe, a body empowered to resolve conflicts between nations of the same continent. Such a future could become possible, especially in the Middle East, which must one day unite all its nations. And that's what this war against them is all about. Flatten them, destroy them, and eventually, maybe 30 years down the road, they'll have them all united under who knows what. It says including Israel and Palestine in a regional union. The European Union standard bearer of hyper-democracy will become a nation of a new kind, probably expanding one day to include Turkey and Russia. Well, they're already bringing Turkey in and uh, Russia as well. It was on the tables today with NATO because they're putting up a super-missile defense pact with Turkey and Russia included in the NATO pact. It says here, it is there that the conditions for equilibrium between market and democracy will best be met. It is in Europe that hyper-democracy will begin. And you know, it's, what it's, it's no democracy at all. If anybody's studied it at all, there's no democracy whatsoever in Europe. It's a top-down dictatorial institution. New institutions must be created and will be created on a global scale, expanding those already in existence. The United Nations will be their base. A constitution for the planet will pick up and extend the current United Nations Charter, for this to happen, the United Nations will have to assume a supranational and no longer just multilateral dimension. Its preamble will list all the rights and duties. Now listen to this. You see, all the rights and duties of every human in relation to nature, to other humans, and to life. That will be your Bible for how you have to behave and what you have to do. You have to be born to serve the world state, by the way. It will include rights uh, not foreseen in the present charter, especially the new right essential groundbreaking to a decent uh, childhood. That means probably with no parents, with implications for their duties or or, of of parents. Other rights and obligations will mandate the protection of life, nature and diversity and will impose absolute boundaries on the market. It's going to be utterly totalitarian and you'll be scared to crack a joke at anybody in case they take offence. For, for one of many reasons now, because they keep expanding the reasons. The UN General Assembly, which will include more and more states, will be progressively supported first by a second chamber, where leaders elected by universal suffrage, will, that's all the ones who pretend they can't have any rights at all, will each represent an equal number of human beings, and then by a third chamber, 
where mercantile and relational and uh, I was going to say rational there because it's going to be rational too and relational enterprises will foregather this global parliament will collect taxes so here's the bankers when we got back to the old job they'll collect the taxes based on each member country's GDP its weapons budget and its greenhouse gas emissions the big con of greenhouse gas emissions the UN Security Council will emerge with the G8 and will expand to include a few of the 11 including India, Brazil and Indonesia that's already been done just recently it will later be made uh, up solely of representatives of the continental unions. See, this guy's not guessing at stuff. He's been at all the meetings. And he writes his books before they have the meetings. And all they do at the meetings is go the, through the, the, the formula that was already set down by him and others years before. It says the Security Council will serve as the executive body of a planetary government built around the current Secretary-General. Understand Secretary General is a military term. That shows you how you're going to be run, folks. This planetary government will devote many more resources to protection of humanity than all the planet's governments do today. It will dictate social norms. It will dictate social norms. Hope you get that. Such as the principle of the best possible world social regime, which will gradually impose on all the world's business enterprises. It will give itself the means to make them respect it. International financial institutions such as the World Trade Organization. Uh, these, are, see, these are run by bankers, folks. The, these, the guys who brought you modern China and now modern uh, India and Brazil are the bankers. Money is necessary to make the, bring a country up. They cannot do it without it. And you need your own governments to mandate that all your technology is given to them and made freely available too. This is an international labor organization, ILO, will be brought directly under its trusteeship so that they will no longer obey exclusively the instructions of the wealthiest countries. This planetary government will acquire the military means for fighting mafias, the drug trade, sexual exploitation, except for those at the very top who do most of the exploiting, slavery, again, not except the ones at the top that cause the slavery, uh, climate upheaval, uh, disposal of waste and attacks, Accidental terrorist or military by nanorobots, nanorobots is on a book here, and other self-replicating pathogens that could destroy the biomass, such as a blue jelly, the ultimate nanotechnological weapon held exclusively by the planetary government. So we're going to use these jelly, uh, nano stuff. I guess if you get up a tea when you're shouting for more bread, they'll just drop this jelly stuff all around you and you'll just drop dead. A planetary assistance and security force with the best equipment. Uh, will protect the environment and combat piracy. To support this world government, new organs for control, defense, and regulation will step-by-step take up a position stemming from the governance bodies of super-empire and those of relational enterprises. A planetary criminal court will ensure the compatibility of laws enacted on each continent and try the most dangerous pirates. A global authority will ensure the availability of water, so in other words, you, 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 it's all going to be rationing out. You understand that it doesn't matter if you're, if you're in a country that's constantly pouring rain. A global department of labor will prevent uh, monopolies. Ha <laughs> ha, what a joke. It will be the monopoly and require compliance with worker rights. And that will be the day too. Another authority uh, will verify the quality of consumer goods. Well, we know the state of them today. They all fall apart as soon as you take the wrappers off. In particular, food. So another will oversee the major insurance companies, other governance bodies, 
and the very big businesses essential to life. This latter authority will possess the means to combat the pirate economy. There'll be no working on the side, no flea markets, no this and that, or vendors on the street. And to defend intellectual and personal property. That'll be very interesting, because you have no personal property left at the end of this. Oh, oh the personal property. Maybe they'll leave you your clothes. Maybe your clothes will be left on you. A central bank will ensure the stability of the principal currencies. Then will manage a single currency. They're talking about a world bank. It will, it will exclude from the international financial community any institution permitting drug money laundering. Well, that's a lot of the banks out of the game because they, they all live in it. A global development bank will finance major infrastructure projects in cities and countries that respect the planetary constitution. It will support countries that convert their drug or organized crime-dependent economies and will reinforce them in their war against pirates. I guess pirates are, are sort of competition. and I know it's a CIA bump off any competition that bring other drugs into the country. A specialist institution will help structure relations uh, relational businesses and verify that they're not covers for pirate or terrorist organizations. Well, I guess I have to look at all the banks. Um, another planetary institution will focus on the development of uh, microfinance. What they want to do is, they've been doing it for years at the United Nations, they give these microfinance loans, but only to women in the third world countries because they want to bypass the males. The males tend to sniff that something's going up here and they know that someone wants to take over uh, their way of life and their country. Uh, obviously, it says the headquarters of these institutions will not all have to be located in the same place, even though we spoke earlier of Jerusalem for some of them, because they, they were even talking about making Jerusalem the capital. Why not? It's the only nation there is, is Israel. As the capital of believers and the God shared by half mankind, etc., etc. Uh, what about the other half? The, the lives may, may be as uh, nomadic as a super empire. It will be their mission to counterbalance. So basically, the future is all designed, and if you know as much to read between the lines as the lines themselves, you get a picture of what's happening, you can tie it in what's happening right now. Interesting, too, Jack Satali up at the United Nations there is up on charges with a bunch of other high Frenchmen. Nothing will happen about them, by the way, for international arms smuggling into other countries. What they always do, of course, big boys, is get wars going, little civil wars, and then they send in the troops to take over and say, oh, my, my, look at the mess they're making. We've got to, we can't have that. We'll get the UN boys to go in and clear that up. And that's the standard policy. Because the, one, the guys at the top, you see, are the crooks, but they're allowed to be kind of crooks in that way because, you see, they have to retain their ability for self-preservation and advancement. They said that years ago, that they would not change themselves. We won't need it, the little people at the bottom living in your cities, because all your decisions will be made for you by the state. You won't need those higher-functioning, self-preservatory um, parts of your brain, basically. You'll be told to play and pay taxes. So that's the sort of world that's coming in. And... I'll see if we've got time here to finish up with um, another book that ties in with this as well, from Brzezinski. Because again, another big technocrat. Technocrats, remember, work in and out of government, but they work for a bigger authority than those that put them in government. And he says on uh, this, this book here, uh, America and the World, page 306, he says, the debate on globalism did, however, perform one useful function, though much of the criticism did not provide a, a mean, meaningful policy program. The debate prompted greater recognition 
of the need to redefine America's world role in the light of a new historical circumstances. Thrust into the world by its own growth and by the cataclysms of two world wars, America first actively promoted and then guaranteed the West's economic recovery, which it did. It paid for the recovery, mainly Japan, Germany, and so on. This is unmilitary security. This posture of necessity, heavily marked by military preoccupations, has increasingly shifted towards a greater involvement with the less political and more basic problems of mankind will face in the remaining third of the century. John Kennedy caught the essence of America's novel position in the world when he saw himself as the first American president for whom the whole world was, in a sense, domestic politics. Indeed, Kennedy was the first globalist president of the United States. Roosevelt, for all his internationalism, and he was an internationalist, all your presidents have been in fact, essentially believed in in an 1815-like global arrangement in which the big four would have specific spheres of influence. Truman primarily responded to a specific communist challenge and his policies indicated a clear regional priority. Eisenhower continued on the same course, occasionally applying European precedents to other regions. These shifts were symptomatic of the changing United States role. With Kennedy came a sense that every continent and every people had the right to expect leadership and inspiration from America, and that America owed an almost equal involvement to every continent and every people. Kennedy's evocative style, which in some ways appealed more to emotion than to intellect, stressed the universal humanism of the American mission, while his romantic fascination with the conquest of space reflected his conviction that America's scientific leadership was necessary to its effective world role. And of course the whole space thing really was to do with getting all the technology up in space uh, for a world which is here now, so we can all be spied upon and monitored. And that's what the whole Star Wars thing was about too. NASA, you got to remember, NASA is a military institution. We tend to forget that, don't we? It's not Star Trek. Don't confuse the two. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and I'm going to put up Tonight, another link, all these links I'll put up on my website too that I've mentioned. I'll put up another link too to show you how non-profit organizations, your new Gestapo, are overseeing Ontario's electrical power systems and getting paid millions of your tax money to do so. That's also why your, your cost of your electricity is going up in Ontario. They're doing the same across Canada, by the way. But I'll put this link up tonight to show you the organizations that are getting paid to police, supposedly, to make sure they're complying with the environment. And I'll put another one up to do with Kissinger, where he, he in a speech he made uh, overseas, he said, when he was asked a particular question, he says, well, that's kind of illegal. He says, the legal we do immediately. And then he said, if it's constitutional, it takes a little bit longer. This, the, this guy, this is the guy who sold America down the river. It's quite interesting, this article about uh, this group. The Green Energy Act Alliance, the group lobbied for the creation of Ontario's current electrical policy. They're getting paid two million a year to do it. This non-profit organization. And uh, 
It says, no individuals are named to the panel, just institutions. They include the OSEA itself, this is this group, and Environmental Defence, another Environmental Defence group, once chaired by Luce Lowry, a current director of the Ontario Power Authority Community Power Fund, Created by, created by the same organization and First Nations Energy Alliance, a member of OSEA, along with Agri-Energy Producers of Canada, Ontario Federation of Agriculture, and York University Professor Joseph or Josie Etcheverry. Four others named are current members of OSEA, including the Wind Industry Group, CAN-WEA, and CAN-SIA, the Solar Power Industry Group, as well as Ontario Solar Network, Representing the province on this list are the Ontario Power Authority, the Ministry of Energy, Hydro One, the Electricity Safety Association, and the Independent Electric System Operator. So, it talks about all these greenies, all the organizations overseeing what you do now, and all the money they're getting paid to do it. From whom? From the companies they're overseeing, which charge you the cash and all your bills. He said approximately $2 million of taxpayers' and ratepayers' money was paid to this non-profit organization, OSEA, in the last two-plus years based on my research and the FOI information. That represents more revenue than um, appears on their statement of operations and net assets for the two years that annual report covers. And it goes through which, how much money these guys claimed and got uh, given to them and how much they actually spent. It's quite a profit-making deal being in the non-profit organizations dominating the rest of the cattle down below, which is what we are, of course. It's amazing. And that's going to be the same, by the way, with all your food eventually, because you get food rationing committees, and that's part of the UN agenda. That's what their Department of Agriculture was set up to do, to, to supply and distribute the, the, the food of the world to different regions and areas. And we're well underway. This wasn't just a single pincer movement, it's multi-pincers. And we're right in the middle. And most folk never saw any of them coming towards you. Too busy, happy playing, being entertained, brainwashed by television, told to be a child forever, just have a good time. Well, all good things come to an end, they say. And then hell intervenes. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.